Hallelujah, Jesus. We honor you in this place, God. We honor you in this place, Lord. We honor your name, Jesus. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of glory. You are worthy of honor, God. We bless you in this place. Thank you so much, God, for your mercy that abounds, Lord, for your grace that abounds, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, if that's for the king, you can do better than that. Hallelujah, Jesus. We bless you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We serve an awesome God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We serve a good God. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, and we'll be beginning in verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And where the Lord says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham." And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Verse 10 says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Father, we thank you so very much for your word that is truth. We thank you, God, because you, by your truth, has set us free, God. You have given us new life, and God, today we rejoice in that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us today. We know that you've been dealing with our hearts, and so we pray that we would be receptive to your word today, that we would not be hearers alone, but that we would be doers of your word, my God, that we would honor you and obey you, giving you glory and praise, Lord God, by living out the truths that we learned today. God, we thank you so much. We ask you all this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord.
If you need a, if you need an outline, raise your hand. If you did not get an outline, raise your hand, and the ushers will make sure that you get one. It's very important that you have these for Connect. And if you say, well, I'm not in a Connect group, it's important that you get into a Connect group. Amen? Amen. Say that a little louder like you believe it. Amen? If you're not, if you're, if you're not part of a Connect group, it's very important that you connect with the body of Christ, not just on Sunday mornings. As Pastor Robert said, we have one day a week that we gather together in a larger assembly all together to worship the name of Jesus, but then we also spread out throughout the week into smaller groups and we discuss the Word of God. We fellowship with one another. We pray for one another. We encourage one another, challenge one another. It's an amazing time. I mean, I'm a leader of one of the Connect groups, and it is, to me, one of the greatest privileges to be able to get together with my brothers and sisters and share with them and watch the Holy Spirit move in our midst and speak into our lives because, you know, God doesn't stop speaking after Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. He continues to speak. He continues to challenge us. He wants to make us more like him. And so I really, really encourage you to um, connect inside one of those connect groups. And Pastor Chad, he's in the lobby right now, but um, you're the, he's the person that you'll want to see and he'll help you get connected. Amen? So everyone has an outline, and so if you follow along with me in your outline, we're continuing in our series, Liberated for Life, in the book of Galatians. And as I talked about earlier, these are the things that we've learned so far. So thus far, we have learned that there is one true gospel. Say, one true gospel. There's a bunch of false gospels out there, but the reality is there is one true gospel. The Apostle Paul did not receive his gospel from men, but from God directly. So that was important for us because Paul is being, ch- is being challenged, saying that his gospel is of the flesh. And so he's communicating. He received his, his gospel directly from the Lord. And his gospel was not only received directly from the Lord, but his gospel was confirmed and affirmed by the established and recognized leadership within the church And then we see the fruit of the gospel in Christ from sin. There's freedom in Christ from sin. It's penalty and it's power for all who believe. Someone say amen. Amen. So we've learned these things. We've learned. We've looked at all of these in the first two chapters. This is what we've seen. And you'll notice in chapter 3 that Paul begins to use some intense language. You'll see that as the English translators um, translated, they use some things called exclamation points, which means that there's some umph or there's some excitement to what he's communicating. And so it's important for us to get that God is speaking to the church. And he isn't just speaking back in those days. He's still speaking to this, to us in these days. And we need to be aware of what he's communicating to us. Amen? And so our memory verse, y'all should have this memorized by now, but so we can do it together. We'll do it every week as long as I remember. Say it with me. For, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Again, say for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not. Submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last time, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So awesome to hear the church just declare the word of God. Amen? Such a powerful thing for us to declare God's word together and encourage one another that we have been set free. When you say it, the reason why I want you to memorize this is not just because it's an important text in the book of Galatians, but because it's an important text for your life. 
This is, this is a reminder for you. Whenever you feel like maybe I wasn't set free or you're struggling with something, you go back to what the scriptures declare and you let the scriptures dictate your mindset, not your situations or circumstances. Amen? So the next thing here in your outline there, you'll see to have, to have knowledge of something is one thing. To put your faith in it is a whole different reality. And so notice this. We can have knowledge of this. We can know what the scripture, you can memorize this scripture with me, but that doesn't mean that you are going to have faith in the scriptures. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so what is supposed to happen is that as you hear the word of God, whether it is being preached from a pulpit, whether it is being read while you're reading the scriptures, whether it is you declaring a memory verse, as the word of God is being communicated, something should be happening, and that is that faith should be rising up in you. That's the reason why many times you'll be in a conversation with someone, and as you're in the conversation or you're hearing the word of God being preached, something inside of you may have started off being a little discouraged or a little depressed, but by the time you end that conversation or you end hearing that preaching, something inside of you says, yes, I can. Something inside of you says, you know what God is able something inside of you begins to happen when the word of God is declared and that's what should that's what should be happening inside of our hearts God doesn't just want us to know stuff about him God wants us to believe these things about him it's very important that we understand the difference because God has not called us into a knowledge-based religion but into a faith-based relationship he didn't call us to just know a bunch of principles and precepts and know what he wants from us and what he doesn't want from us. He didn't just call us into that. And, and listen, it is, it is very clear that Christianity is a religion, but there is a difference that sets Christianity apart from every, every other religion. And it is that we are not just telling you how to live morally. We're not trying to tell you how to become enlightened. We are, in t we are telling you that God came to this earth as a man, died in your place, and allows you to have a relationship with him and now you live out the principles of the gospel and the truth of the scripture based on not your goodness not your ability not on your, your, your the way that you are perfect and you're and, and you're obeying the scriptures but you live this out by the grace that God affords us you live this out by the truth that is there. And God wants us to walk in this relationship and wants us to know what the Word of God says but to believe it. And so understand this faith is a gift of God granted to all men. Say all men. Amen. Yet all men do not choose to put their faith in the God who has given them the gift. Now listen. I want to give you some substantial reality to this, okay, because you're like, well, I don't know. Does everyone have faith? Let me point something out to you. For those of you that were here on, it was Tuesday night, and there was a debate that was going on. For, raise your hand if you were here for the debate or you heard the debate, right? So there were some of us that heard that, right? So here's what happened. In this debate, there were these two men. One of them was a Christian. One of them was a non-Christian, non-believer, and they were debating creation, and they were talking about creation. And in this debate, you will find something. The science dude, you know, you guys know him, Bill Nye, he knows his stuff. Hello, right? Smart guy. I mean, some people, were, I was one of those people in the some people category. Some of that stuff was like way over my head. I was like falling asleep while he was talking because it was so deep. I was like, glory to God. I'm just saying, thank God I texted my brother Milton. He had me laughing, keeping me awake. He didn't realize that, but he was being used by the Lord so I could stay focused. But anyway, the point of the matter is, as, as, as they're communicating this, 
As this guy's declaring what science says, science says, science says. And then, you know, this one's declaring what science declares and also what the scriptures say. They asked him a question at the end when they were doing the question, the Q&A. And when they were doing the Q&A, they asked one question about the actual debate, which I think they should have just went right to that question. It would have been a much shorter debate. I would have stood awake the whole time. Amen. I'm just saying it wouldn't have been too deep for me because I'd have been like, yep, that's it. So they asked him this question about creation. And you know what he said? This is what the scientist said. The scientist said, that's the great mystery. Now listen, when he said that's the great mystery, I'm like, are you serious? You are going to bank all of eternity and all of your life on this great mystery. Are you hearing that? The point is, the reason why he's doing that is because he has faith. And you know what? His faith is just placed in the wrong thing. That's it. And so all of us have the ability to believe. The question is, where do I put my faith? Do I put my faith in the truth of God's word or do I put my faith in other things? Because the reality is, he said it, it's a great mystery, and I thought Bill Ham was pretty funny. You know, he was like, hey, um, Ken Ham, I'm sorry. He was like, listen, you know, there's a book that, that fixes that mystery for you, right? I'm just saying, I mean, it's, it's there. And so the point is, everyone has faith, but not everyone chooses to put faith in Jesus. And so our job, our desire should be to what? It should be to declare the word of God and hopefully call men out of darkness by his grace and to the marvelous light. So that way they are able to put their faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. And if you want a, a scripture reference, because I know we have to balance all of our experiences by the scriptures. If you go to the book of Romans chapter 12, you will find there that all men have been given some type of faith. Amen? And so, continuing on here in your outline, one of the most difficult questions to ask is, where does my faith stand? And the title of the message this morning is, where is your faith? And the reason why this question is so difficult, because we began to deal with this last week, and you guys hopefully discussed this in Connect for those of you that were able to go to your Connect groups this week. And the reason why this is such a hard question to ask is because the reality is this, that if you and I are honest with ourselves, now if you're being, if you're being dishonest, you'll just go ahead and just chalk it up, I have faith in God and that's it. But if you're honest with yourself, most people, I have yet to meet any, I'm, and I'm being totally honest here, I have yet to meet anyone that I know, whether they realize it or not, who does not waver or struggle back and forth between faith in their works and faith in the works that Jesus did on the cross. Everybody struggles with that, whether they realize it or not. Some people boast more in what they do than what Jesus has done. Some people talk more about the spiritual accomplishments in their life than they talk about Jesus and what he did for them to be able to be so spiritual. Amen? And so what happens is, this is a tough question to ask, and the truth of the, uh, and the, the, truth of the matter is that this is, this is the reason why the grace of God is so amazing, because while we may waver and we may struggle between our faith, you know, just 100% in Jesus and putting our faith in ourselves, God grants us the ability to repent of that sin of self-righteousness. Amen? He grants us the ability to turn from that and say, nope, it's not about me, and really not just saying it because it's the Christian thing to say, hello. Because a lot of times we learn Christian language. Oh, no, no, I, I, this is all by the grace of God. But really, do you believe that? Do you really believe that in your heart? It's not because you can learn the language. I don't, I don't want you to learn language. I want your heart to be transformed. God doesn't want us to learn what to say when we're asked a question. He wants us to really know this. You know what? It's better that you don't know the scripture you're pointing to, but you know the God who wrote the scriptures. Hello. What I'm saying is it's better that you can't quote the scripture verbatim. And I'm not telling you don't learn scripture. Hello. Some people are like, yes, that is me. I don't know the scripture verbatim. I know it's in there. Learn where it is. Hello. 
I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is it is better that you know the God who inspired the scriptures and that you know what the scripture says, even if you can't quote it perfectly, but that you can point someone back to that Savior. That is about a heart knowledge. Hello? That is about having an experience with God that is not just I know some things, but there's something going on inside of my heart. And that's what God's spirit wants to do in us. And so here is what you and I must do. We must determine to guard our hearts against faith in anything beside the gospel. We must guard our hearts. This is why Galatians is so important, that we don't put our faith in ourselves, that we don't put our faith in other things, but that we put our faith solely and completely in this gospel. And so the first point I ask you to repeat after me is this, say, how we are reconciled to the Lord is how we persevere in our relationship with the Lord. And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down. How we are reconciled to the Lord is how we persevere in our relationship with the Lord. And so look at verse 1 through 5 with me, and we'll deal with that, and then we'll continue moving on. So the first point is this. He's, he, 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 he starts off in this part of the chapter, and he gets really, you would almost take it as insulting, right? Because the words we're going to look at here. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. What's he saying? He's saying, you, 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 you foolish people. How many of you would enjoy that if I got up here and said, you foolish people? Like, yes, Bishop, amen. Preach that, Pastor. Good preach. No, nobody's going to say that, right? And so he's coming at them, and he's not calling them fools. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is that they are being foolish. They are denying the knowledge that they have. They are rejecting that knowledge, and so they're ignoring the truth of the Scriptures to embrace some other form of truth. He goes on to say, who has bewitched you? In other words, in, 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 in some translations, it may, it may look like, you know, it's talking about some evil spell. That's not what this is talking about. When you think about witchcraft, witchcraft is ultimately about what? It's about control. Say control. When we talk about witchcraft, most people get involved in the occult because they want what? They want some kind of power. They want some kind of ability, right? They want some way. And some people get into this, and it's about controlling other people. And yes, they do it through demonic realm and all that stuff. But here's what we have to understand. Witchcraft, in its basis form, is about controlling people. And so how do you control them? Well, you control people. It happens all the time through manipulation, right? You control people through um, intimidation, right? You, you control people through domination. You know, so those are the basic things that happen. And so what he's saying here, how could you let someone control you? How could you let someone's false teaching influence you to the place that you are going to begin to follow after these false teachings? He goes on to say this. He says that you should not obey the truth because what happens is if you're not obeying the truth, you're obeying this false teaching. He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And we'll go back to that in a moment. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And so what he's saying to them is, he's saying, how is it that you received the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you were circumcised, because you were Jewish, because you were obeying everything that the law said? Or did you receive the Spirit of God through faith by hearing? 
He's asking them this question. He said, in other words, how did you get anything from God in the first place? Was it based on what you were doing? Was it based on your holiness? On the contrary, it was because you heard the word of God and you believed. And so that is where our point comes from, where the same way that you are reconciled to God and you are brought into a relationship with God is the same way you maintain that relationship. And so what, what happens to us is we begin to struggle because we begin to see and, 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 and realize that we need to to be more holy. Amen, somebody? We begin to recognize, man, you know, I have some areas in my life that I really need to stop doing. Or some of us just get used to those areas because we use grace as an excuse to keep living in sin. Hello? That's called cheap grace. Oh, you know, God is going to forgive me, right? You know, it's, it's, I, I can repent and confess my sin because 1 John 1, 7 or 1, 9, it says that he's faithful and just. If I confess my sins unto him, right, and he's going to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So, man, you know, I can just continue to live how I want to live. No, 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 no. That is not what 1 John is trying to communicate. 1 John is trying to communicate. We need to live holy. There's no one that can say in 1 John in that context what he's simply saying is this. Anyone who says he doesn't have sin makes God a liar. That's what he's saying. But when you read 1 John, it's probably one of the most challenging books in the New Testament because he's calling you out. He's saying, look, if you really know God, you're not living in sin. Hello? Can we lower the AC a little bit? Just a little bit. I'm, 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 I'm feeling some fans, glory to God, all over the building. I need one myself, Lord. I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> the apostle starts off this section with very strong language. His intensity should not be seen as demeaning, but demanding. He's not trying to demean them. He's not trying to speak down to them. He's not trying to belittle them. That is not what he's trying to do because you'll take language like this and you'll, and, and you'll take it and be like, man, he's, he's demeaning them. He's speaking down to them. He's calling them fools and he's, 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 he's being real sarcastic and rude. That is not what Paul is trying to do. The apostle Paul is using strong language because he is trying to call people to repentance. Hello? The Puritans, they used to say that hard words produce soft hearts. Soft words produce hard hearts. It's the truth. Whenever we are hearing the word of God, and I've talked about this, watered down or candy-coated, what happens is we start to be like, oh, no, that, that's really not for me. That, 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 that's for someone else. Man, you know, that, or, or, or we hear a part of a message that really, man, they really need to hear this, and we forget we're the one that needs to hear this. We're the one that needs to hear the gospel as often as possible and we're reminded of these truths. And so the Galatians here, the apostle Paul is trying to call them. And so what he was doing, what, what was he demanding of them? He's demanding a response of them. He says, are you so foolish? Again, he goes back to this in verse 3. He says, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? He says in verse 4, he says, have you suffered or experienced so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? He says, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And so he comes back again. He's saying, listen, you have experienced some great stuff, and how did this happen? He's demanding a response from them, that they respond. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to produce repentance in them. And why is he doing this? It is born out of his devotion to the Lord, out of his understanding of the gospel, and out of his passion for the people whom God has entrusted him with. He is passionately preaching. You see it in some of his epistles. The apostle Paul mentions how he was with them. I, I believe it's 
Jesus in the book of Acts and he's speaking to the Ephesians and he's telling them how I was with you day and night in tears. And so imagine a preacher that is before you weeping because he is so passionate about your soul and the gospel that he's preaching. That is what Paul was like. And wherever he went, this overwhelming zeal for the Lord and for the people whom God was bringing was, was consuming him. And so his language is strong, but it is not being rude. He is calling them to repentance, church. It is the same thing that God does for us. He calls us to repentance. You know, those hard words, you know, I, 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 I laugh in my connect group because there's some people, and I will let them remain nameless right now, but they talk about when they come to church that they're always getting beat up. Hello. And, I, and I first, the first time they said, I said, well, I guess I have an abusive anointing or something like that. I was joking, obviously. And, um, and then the second time they said, I said, but let me ask you all something. I said, do you feel hope after the preaching? They're like, oh, yeah, we feel hope after we get beat. I'm like, okay, I'm good with that because if you just left felt feeling beaten, then we have a problem. Hello. Because, because if, if that's the case, right, there should be, listen, truthfully, church, there should be conviction that you feel in your heart from the preaching of the word of God. There should be something that goes on inside of you. If you sit there indifferently, I have to say there's an issue because either you're not listening or you think you've arrived. And so what should happen is there should be some conviction, but then there should also be hope. Remember, bad news, good news? you got to have them both together if you're going to preach the gospel truly. And so Paul is trying to arouse us in them. And so the Galatians, they had experienced, Paul goes through this list, they had experienced much grace. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin. That's the grace of God that God even shows you your sin. He granted them repentance. It's God's gift that he gives to us. He moved miraculously among them, and he changed them when they put their faith in Jesus. And now, after all of this stuff that they've seen, they've seen stuff that you and I are praying to see. Hello? Seriously, where we're praying to see things the, the way that they saw stuff. They, they, they saw these things. They experienced. They were like the first fruits of the preaching time of the Apostle Paul. And so they're seeing some amazing, glorious thing. And now they allow these guys to come in and begin to speak falsehood and begin to cause doubt in their heart. Like, you know what? Maybe, just maybe. Maybe Paul missed something. That's what they're saying. Maybe there was something. You know, we had all of this wonderful experience and we had all of this good time in the Lord, but maybe Paul missed something. That's what they're putting in these, in these people's heart, and Paul is calling into repentance for that. Notice this, church. The gospel never, ever calls us to obey, to receive, but it calls us to receive by faith what Jesus has already earned for us. The gospel never says, well, if you obey, you're going to get this. It doesn't say that. It does not say that. It says Jesus already purchased it all. Jesus died in your place. Jesus gives you access to all of the promises. He gives you access to all of the covenant reality that there is in God. And so our faith must be where? It must be in Jesus, not in ourselves. So what does that mean for us in a practical way? That means that our effort must be to believe the truth of the gospel more in order for us to become more like Jesus rather than us trying to do better so that you can prove that you believe in him. Our effort should be in what? It should be in me saying, but how do I believe more? Well, how much do you meditate on the scriptures? 
How much time do you spend in the Word of God? You see, because we are inundated with all kind of stuff. There's all kind of things. Most of us work at least eight hours a day. So for eight hours a day, you're definitely, I mean, you can't be, unless you're, unless you're at my job. I mean, I have the privilege that I could for eight hours a day literally be in the Word of God. But here's the thing. Most of you don't have that privilege, so you can't be sitting in front of a Bible all day long, right? So all day long, there are things that are coming in your mind that, you know, or that, that are coming your way that are causing you, that, that are asking questions, may not be causing anything to change in you, but are asking questions of your faith. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you stand on what you stand? When you're going through hardship, people that are around you that are communicating and questioning those things, the, the, the faith that you put in your Lord, the reason why you live the way that you live, and then just all of the other stuff that is there that continues to be promoted and proclaimed. So after your eight hours at work, then you come home and some of us, and I'm just saying, some of us spend too much time in front of the TV. Hello. I didn't say sitting in front of the TV was a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I'm going to let you know there's some things that you sit in front of the TV for that are bad things. Someone say amen. It's just the truth. That's the reality. And so some of us, we spend eight hours at work, and then we spend a couple of hours in front of a television. And the question is, how much time am I in the word of God? Many of us struggle to, oh, man, I don't know. I don't have time to spend time with Jesus. Really? Look, do me this favor. Just do me this favor. I want you to write down for the next week, just the next week, just do it for the next week. And don't act holy this week either, okay? Just do your normal schedule, your normal stuff that you normally do. Just write down how much time you spend in front of a television. How much time you spend doing recreational activity that is not necessary. And you tell me if you can find some time to spend with Jesus. I promise you, you can find time to spend with Jesus. You have more. Listen, you would be super duper holy. Hello. If you were spending that time in the presence of the Lord, if you were spending that time in the word of God, if you were spending that time. And so for us, the big challenge is for us to be able to say no to our flesh and say yes to him. Because if I'm going to grow in grace, it's not me learning one scripture. See, here's the problem. I want to learn one scripture. I want to learn one command. And I'm going to do that thing. And I'm going to become better at that. And then I'm going to feel better about myself. For the leaders, we have this thing that I, that, that I began doing with them last year. And I asked them, I said, you know what? I was reading in one of the books, Leaders Who last by Dave Kraft and what he was saying was one of the things that he does every year is he picks one character trait in his life that he's going to focus on for that entire year right and so in his case in his book what he was saying um, he, he had an issue with giving that was the issue for him he wasn't very generous it's funny because as he writes in his book he said that toward the latter part of that year you know he's talking to his daughter his daughter's taking him to school and when he's taking his daughter to school, you know, his daughter, somehow they got into the conversation of what character trait he was working on, which was on being generous. And so his daughter lovingly told him, Dad, I think you should work on that for another year. Some of y'all got that like, oh, that's what, he, yeah, he, he wasn't very generous. He, 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 had, he had spent almost the whole year and he hadn't arrived yet, right? And his daughter was saying, Dad, you could be a little bit more generous. And so here's the thing. We'll do that. And what I do for the leaders is this, is I challenge them and to, to memorize one scripture a month dealing with whatever character trait they're dealing with. So at the end of a year, they will have 12 scriptures memorized that are going to deal with that character trait. And the hope is that as your mind is renewed, your heart will respond and your life will reflect it. That's the hope, right? So my mind is being renewed by the word of God. My heart is responding to that by faith. And now I begin to live this out. That's the hope. But here's the thing. It shouldn't be based on my relationship with God. It shouldn't be based on the 12 scriptures I learned or the five things I stopped doing. It should be based on one big thing and that is what Jesus has done 
I measure my life by that. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I know, I've memorized some scriptures, and I know some of the Bible and things like that. But can I tell you my greatest struggle? My greatest struggle is being able to grip my mind around the concept of grace. It is, it is to really understand it fully that God loves me the way that he does. That God forgives me the way that he does. Because I don't love like him. I don't forgive like him. I remember when people do me wrong. Even though I sit next to them, smile with them, hug them, and love them. But I know this, that if I can grasp the grace of God in a deeper way, I'll be able to forgive like him. I'll be able to love like him. I'll be able to serve like him. I'll be able to be more like him. And so for me, I don't know what you struggle with when it comes to grace. But to understand it is something that is so profound found and so deep and you know what the only thing I can say that helps me to understand it is when I meditate on my savior and his word and if you're not doing that we'll never get to that place together church we will never come to that knowledge and understanding and be able to live out this gospel because again God did not call us into a knowledge-based religion but a faith-based relationship that is what he called us to the second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, faith in God's word has always been necessary for a right standing with God. Faith in God's word, meaning the gospel, has always been necessary for a right standing with God. Look at verses 6 through 9 with me. And it says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness... Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, are, are blessed with believing Abraham. And so the, first, the, the thing here that Paul is doing is the, the, the Judaizers, what they were doing is that they were using Abraham because they love to say, if you remember conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees, right? Jesus is telling them that the devil is their father and they're like, no, Abraham's our father. Y'all remember those conversations, right? And so Jesus is communicating with them and they're like, nah, Abraham is our father. We have, we have a bloodline. Hello. That's what they were saying. Like we have a heritage because we are Abraham's offspring, because we are Abraham's children. And so we have these promises. And so the same thing that they didn't change their story. They didn't change the way that they did this. So as they move forward, what do they do? They're like, look, man, look, Abraham had to be circumcised. Abraham had to be circumcised. So y'all got to be circumcised. Hello. Abraham was before the law. They were, they were arguing this point and they were using this. And so what does Paul do? Paul says, okay, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. He said, you want to use Abraham? I will use Abraham the same way that you're using Abraham, except I'm going to show you what, what was it that caused God to speak. And remember, all of these people uh, in, in this time, they're using the same Old Testament scriptures, and so they're able to go back to the same Old Testament, and they're looking at Abraham, and they're saying, and Paul is saying, look, he said, Abraham, he wasn't justified because of his obedience. He wasn't justified because of his circumcision. Abraham was justified because he believed God. 
He was justified because he was called righteous. That's what justification is. When you look at Abraham and the Bible says that God, that, that God declared him righteous, what, he, what, what, the, what the Bible is saying, or he accounted it to him as righteousness, what the Bible is saying is it is giving you an Old Testament picture of justification. That's all it is. It's simply saying that this is what happens in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the moment that I come to faith in Jesus, the moment that I put my faith in him, I am declared righteous. Did you hear me? It doesn't, it doesn't happen a week later. It doesn't happen a month later. It doesn't happen when I feel holy. Hello. It doesn't happen when my leaders tell me that I'm As a matter of fact, can I put it to you like this? It doesn't even happen when you get to holy on the outside. You are declared righteous the moment you put faith in him. Listen, what, what I know is, and, and from my own life, I can tell you, when I first got saved, I mean, I, I really, I've told you about my encounter with Jesus, and so I was really serious about the Lord. And as I continue to grow in the Lord, I always had, you know, some kind of scripture that I was reading, and so I was always declaring that, and that's the way that I was. I mean, and I'm not trying to act like I'm super holy, that's just, the, that, that's just how it was. But here's the thing, I remember a few years later, and I was when I first, when we first started this church, I went to New York, and there was a mentor that I had in my life, his name was Felix Arroyo, and when I went to go see Felix, Felix, he was telling me about a conversation that he had with someone, and when he was telling him about this conversation, you know, he, the, the other person or Felix said, yeah, well, you know how Jason is, right? And I'm like, hold on a second, time out, time out, time out. How Jason is. Jason loves Jesus. I mean, I didn't think I was perfect, but man, you know, I was a little self-righteous, uh, you know, and, and I kind of compared myself to others around me, and I was like, well, I know that I think. I mean, I, I seem to love Jesus a little more than them. I'm just saying that, 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 that was my thought. It was a wrong thought, but I'm just saying, I'm just letting you know what I was thinking, right? Some of y'all think that way too. Just repent. But here's the thing. Um, so I, I'm, 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 I, I, I would measure, you know, because I'm looking at my life and I'm like, okay, I wasn't trying to be better than them, but I would just notice like, you know, some people, you know, I, I'll give you an example. When I first got saved for like the, two, the first two years of being a Christian, I promise you this. I didn't even know what was in the movie theaters because I didn't go to the movies. I didn't watch TV. I was just me and Jesus. That's, it. That's how it was. And so I thought, man, these people are always going to the movies. They're, they need Jesus for real. These people, you know, listening to this crazy music, they really need Jesus. These people, they're on the TV all the time. And that, th those are my thoughts. Notice I don't think that today, right? I go to the movies, amen. I watch TV, amen. I listen to crazy music. But anyway, I, you know, TV and movies, we're good. But here's the thing. <laughs> when I hear these, you know, this person say this, like, you know, I know Jason. I'm like, I had to clarify. I was like, hold up. I said, what do you mean you know Jason? And he's like, well, bro, you know, you had a little chip on your shoulder. You know, you still had your little, you know, way you walked. And I'm like, what? And he's like, and, you know, you had a long way to grow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, dude, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to the movies. What are you talking about? <laughs> I wasn't watching TV. I was praying. All, I had more to grow. What do you say? The point is. You know, I didn't even realize this, but I realize it now. The fact of the matter was, I just, I didn't, I didn't even know how I understood it totally other than the Holy Spirit, but I knew I was justified, right? I knew I was walking in his righteousness. I knew that I had been forgiven of my sins, and that is what happened. And so when they say, hey, man, but you weren't so holy, I was like, y'all are crazy. But you know what it was? Is that there's two different realms here. There's God saying, son, you're holy, and then there's other people saying, you need to grow in holiness. And guess what? They're both right. Amen? Amen? See, because we think, oh, well, I'm holy and I'm good. Hold on a second. Time out. You know, the holiness that has been declared over you, you should be growing into that. And so I believe the phrase, come as you are, but I'm going to tell you what, you don't stay as you are. And if you do, I'm going to question if you ever came in the first place. 
Oh, Jesus, forgive my sins. Yeah, but do you want to live for him? See, because I remember being in the detention center when I was 16, 17 years old, and a little Baptist old lady sat down with me for 30 minutes while I went to church because I didn't even go to church, but I was tired of sitting in the little area there, so I was like, let me go to church. So I went to church, Baptist lady, and I have nothing against Baptists. I thank God for this when I was sitting there. She's talking to me, asking me all these questions. I started telling her all the things I remember from when I was a little kid in, in, in Bible, in Bible um, studies and things like that, and at the end of the conversation, she's like, so why are you not serving Jesus? And I said, well, because I like my sin, and I, I won't name those sins right now. I named them for her, and I'm like, this old lady must have been like, boy, this boy needs help. But the old lady said to me, she said, you just need to come to Jesus as you are and let him change you. She didn't just leave it at just come to Jesus as you are. She's like, look, let him do the work in you. See, so when you really come, what happens is he really does change us. But come as you are. Don't, 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 do, the, don't do the false religious thing. Well, I'm going to clean myself up, then I'm going to come to Jesus. No, it doesn't work that way. Because what do you need him for? It's like going into a shower after you took a shower. Like I went and took baby wipes. I wiped myself off. I got everything real clean. And then I'm hey, I'm going to go take a shower now, now that I'm clean. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? But the picture is kind of the same because you know you really can't get clean with baby wipes. Amen? I'm just saying you can kind of get the dirt off, but, but I mean really, really clean, clean. No, no, no. You need to like get in the shower and bathe. Amen? And so you cleaning yourself up is like using baby wipes when you jump in the shower of Jesus. That's a whole different story. That is a real cleansing that takes place. And this is what Paul was trying to communicate. He was saying, listen, by faith, Abraham believed. And when he believed, he was declared righteous. It is the same thing for you. It is the same thing for me. It is the same thing for everyone. By faith, by faith, and by faith alone is the way that we live this out. Amen? See, there's something that happens to us, church, and there is a supernatural transaction that takes place when we put our faith in Jesus. God justifies us, which is he makes us righteous, and immediately he fills us with his spirit who changes our desires and empowers us to live by grace for him. Amen? The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our reliance must be in the curse-breaking power of the Savior. Our reliance must be in the curse-breaking power of our Savior. Look at verses 10 through 14. The Apostle Paul continues on and he says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith, shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so what Paul does, he quotes like four scriptures here to let them know. And when he's, when he's quoting, quoting four scriptures, he's quoting four scriptures from the Old Testament law that these Judaizers would have been very familiar with. 
He lets them know a few things. He communicates with them. And he's letting them know that anyone who tries to earn their righteousness, anyone who tries to save themselves is under a curse. That's what he says here. He says anyone who tries to earn righteousness by the law. And the first verse there, for as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And so when we try to live by the law of God for justification. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago. It is not wrong for you to want to obey as much of the scriptures as you can and strive toward that. It is a problem when you bank on your obedience over his sacrifice. That is the issue because here is where the problem comes in. You will fall short. You will have a bad day. You will have a moment where you don't walk in holiness. You will slip up. You will make an action or do something that does not glorify Jesus in that moment. If you're depending on yourself you bring yourself under the curse of the law that's what the scripture says and so we need to put our faith where our faith must be in the curse breaking power of the savior so this is what happened to these to to, to these people after having heard the gospel clearly proclaimed believed, and experienced so much grace how could the galatians even can even consider another way to salvation think about that for a moment this is the question that comes into my mind When I think about this, I'm like, how how could they have experienced all of this stuff and then still even doubt to the point where they begin to turn away from Christ is the way that Paul put it in the beginning of uh, of the book? How is it that that happens? And the way that I see this is that we all want as much security as we can possibly have in anything that we participate in. Is that not right? If you're going to go, if you're going to change jobs, right, you're secure in your job, you know what you got there right now, and someone offers you a job, are you just going to jump and say, hey, I just want to move to this job, or are you going to consider some things like how much does it pay, right? You're going to consider benefits, you're going to consider the company, you're going to look at all of those things. For those, I heard the most horrible story um, Somebody was, was looking for a house to move into, and as they're looking for a place to move into, two times they contacted someone, and when they contacted, both of these things were scams. Did you hear what I just said? So when they're going to, you know, go and try to get this house or move into this apartment or whatever it was, the first one, this was made, this broke my heart even more than anything. He said, yeah, the first person that I talked to, they were saying, you know, man, you know, we're looking for God-fearing people to move in here. We're looking for people that really love Jesus because those are the type of, this is the language they were using. And as they did a little bit of research, they found out that was a scam. They went into the next one. They found out that that one was a scam. And so the point is, whenever you're looking for a place to live, you're looking for security, right? I mean, I'm just saying, those are the type of things that happen. If you're looking for a doctor to go to when you got some kind of issue, you want to go to a doctor that has some kind of experience. Hello? You want to you go with a doctor that, you know, someone can tell you about, especially when you're dealing with something. And so we want that in relationships with people. Some people, some of you that are in here, not some people, some of you that are in here, you keep people at this distance. Hello. You get, and I don't mean, I don't mean physically. I mean in your emotions, in your heart, you got like a brick wall that's there and you're just waiting for them to fail you. Why is that? Because you've been failed so many times, you don't want to be failed again. You've been hurt so many times, you don't want to be hurt again. You've been fooled so many times, you don't want to be fooled again. And so you can't just love them by faith and really let them in because you're so guarded. I mean, that's just the reality. Some of us are like that. Why? Because we thought we were secure in a relationship before or whatever the situation was. And now we are no longer secure. And so what do we do? We try to, we try to make up our own security. And so with the Galatians, it's the same thing. They were just looking for security. And so how do you measure faith? It's tough to measure faith. 
Are you here? It's tough to, well, I believe, yeah, well, I can look at the outside of my life, but then the question is, am I putting my faith in my works or am I putting my faith in Jesus? It's hard to measure, like, did I believe enough? Are you hearing that? It's hard because, like, did we believe enough? I mean, maybe it's more than just believing. Maybe it's faith plus, Jesus plus. That's what Galatians is about. There's no Jesus plus. There's no faith plus. It is what it is. And so they, they have this desire to find this security. And see, here's the thing. Paul, Paul quotes a scripture that is actually quoted three times in the New Testament. And it is that the just shall live by faith. And the book of Romans is quoted. And the book of Galatians is quoted. And in the book of Hebrews it's quoted. So do you think that's an important verse? I'm just saying. Three times in the New Testament it made it the same verse. The just shall live by faith. Very important for us. And so he's making this point. He's saying that we are supposed to live by faith, not by sight, not by feeling, not even by experience. Because remember, they had all of these experiences. They experienced the Spirit. They experienced miracles. And still, Paul is saying, your faith is supposed to be in what? The finished work of Jesus. And so our faith is supposed to be something that is based on what? Based on what Jesus did. Based on what God said. But can I tell you something? This is something that is so awesome and amazing for us and that we can be encouraged by. Is that God does not call us. And please hear me when I say this. Because I just gave you the example earlier on about the two scientists that were going at it. And here's what I want you to know. Is that God never calls anyone to just trust him blindly. And what I mean by that is that he gives us substantial evidence by which we can measure and trust him. Why do you think Lee Strobel is a believer today? Because he was checking out the substantial evidence and he got converted. Hello? He saw the evidence that's there. And so what is our faith in? Our faith is in Jesus. But where do we get the stories of Jesus? It comes from what? It comes from this book called the Bible. Hello? And so how do we know what our faith is? Well, you know what? God is so amazing that when you read your Bible, your Bible has historical proof to it. Hello? Your Bible has geographical proof to it. That's in there. And your Bible has one thing that is the greatest proof of all, and it is called prophetic proof. And so your Bible has declared things that would happen, and they came to pass exactly how God says it. So you have the witness of history, you have the witness of geography, and you have the witness of prophecy that say, look, I've shown you all of these things to be true. What do you think about eternity? What do you think about what Jesus did? Do you think you might need that? I'm just saying. Everything historically is right. Everything geographically is correct. And above all things, everything prophetically is exactly how it was. So do you think that these authors might have missed something about your need for salvation? You think these authors might have missed something about the eternity of hell? I don't think they missed any of those things. And so our faith is not based on feeling, emotion, or experience, but our faith is based on the truth of God's word. I said that we would go back to this verse, but look at what he says in in verse 1. He says, before whose eyes... Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among them as crucified. And so what he's saying here is when you read that, as I was reading it, I'm like, man, it almost sounds as if they saw Jesus being crucified. 
That's what it sounds like. But the way that he, the, the, the way that he communicates this, it, when, when he says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. When you look at that word portrayed, what it's talking about is what would happen is, is that when a father, back in those days, when a father was no longer going to pay the debts of his children, he put up this placard. And when he put up this placard, it said, I am no longer responsible for my son's debts. In other words, anything that he gets from you is on him. That's where this word comes from. And so how does that tie into the crucifixion? Because what happens is the Galatians were not there when they were hearing or or, or when Jesus was crucified. They didn't see it. But here's what happened. What happened was when Paul conveyed to them the gospel, it was as if God was writing a placard on the wall. My son has paid the ultimate price for your sin. Come to me by faith and you will be delivered from the curse of the law and you will experience eternal life and relationship with Jesus. That is what he was saying. But he was so passionate and so convincing and he painted the picture so clearly for them that he is amazed How is it possible that I could show you so clearly the price that was paid and you're turning away from that to your own works? How could you do? How could that not be enough security for you when in those days you saw the placard from the dad and you knew that he was free from anything that had to do with his son? And what God is saying is my son came and paid the price for you. That is what Paul is communicating to them. And so he lets them know this, and he wants them to realize that we are called to live by faith and not just trust in a blind faith either. Our faith is founded in the work of the gospel. Our faith is founded in the word of God that has been proven. And here's the thing, church. Jesus offers us a security that is rooted in the Father's will, the Son's work, and the Spirit's power. Jesus became a curse for us to break us free from any and every curse connected to our lives that sin brings. Here's the thing. Security in our good works only brings us into greater condemnation. And greater than that is it is a dishonor to the work that Jesus did. When I put my trust in myself, when I put my trust in my own works, when I put my trust in my own ability, or when I will not trust him because I don't think that I deserve forgiveness, or I don't think that I can be healed, or I don't think that I can be forgiven, any of those combination of things, when I do that, it is a dishonor to the work that Jesus did for us. So my closing question is this, in what area of your life are you trusting yourself over your Savior? And what area of your life are you trusting yourself over Jesus? And what area of your life do you think that you have to hold it all together? And what area of your life do you think that you're the one that is doing it? Because here's the other thing. The first reason why I believe that the Galatians went ahead and they were, were, were being swayed is because of security. But the other thing is this, is that not only do we want security, our flesh loves glory. Our flesh loves glory. We love to boast about, well, I did A, B, and C, and D happened. I did this, this, and this. That was the result. Instead of understanding, I was only able to do A, B, and C because of the grace of God. Therefore, D is the grace of God. It's the glory of God. But our flesh loves glory. That's the reason why many times we begin to struggle between faith in our Savior, faith in our own works. Faith in God's ability and faith in our own ability. God wants us to live by faith, and that means to live by grace. 
And to live by grace means that I have to live up to supernatural mandates in the scripture. When God tells me to love my enemies, that's a supernatural mandate. Hello? When God tells me to forgive you 70 times 70, that is a supernatural mandate. Hello? When God tells me to love you unconditionally because love covers a multitude of sin, those are supernatural mandates. When God tells me to share the gospel with others and, and bring them to the Savior, that's a supernatural mandate. God commands us to live supernaturally. You and I cannot live in the power of ourselves doing supernatural things. Hello? We need the grace of God. And so the question is, where is it that you are trusting in your own flesh over your Savior? Stand to your feet, please. Bow your heads with me. Where is it that you're trusting yourself? Maybe you're in this place with your, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, and, and you, you don't even think you need Jesus. You think that you're okay just all by yourself doing it the way that you're doing it. And I hope that after the last, all this time that you've heard the preaching of this word today, that you understand that that's not true. You need his help. You don't just need his help. You need him to do it for you. So where is it? Where is it that you are trusting in your own works? Where is it that you're trusting in your own ability? Where is it that God is calling you to put your faith in him today? Grab your neighbor's hand. I want to pray for us. Gracious Father, I thank you so much today. Father, for each person that is here, for each person that has heard your word, and Father God, I just pray over them today, God, that if there's anyone in this place that does not know you, that they would put their trust in you today, that they would recognize that they are sinners, that they would recognize that they need you as Savior, that they would recognize that you love them and you died for them, that they would recognize, dear God, that you want to fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would recognize that you want to walk with them from this day forward. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who may believe that they're okay with you and they're not. God, convict their hearts today. That they would repent of their sin as well, God, that they would turn from their sin unto you, Jesus. And Father God, for those of us in this place that are believers, my God, but we struggle, Heavenly Father. Some of us struggle more than we even realize, my God. I pray for any of us that are believers that put our faith in our own works above your work, my God, that you would grant us repentant hearts, that you would grant us the revelation, my God, that we need desperately to continue to walk out this gospel, Lord God, living it out in our lives, walking in your power. Heavenly Father, help us to be overwhelmed by the gospel, my God. Help us to be overwhelmed by the truth that you came, that you set us free, my God. Let our lives, God, reflect the glory of your gospel. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, come on and give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.